0: Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry podcast. This is the seventh day of October in the year 2020. I'm coming to you from the in the Pacific Northwest in the beautiful United States of America. Here at Authentic Biochemistry, I offer my mind and my time. I guess if I want to give a definition of time, I can say, if I think about it. Time is a form of the flow of phenomena grounding wave particle transmission to the esthetami, uh, eo stimulating electrobiochemically neuronal receptors, usually proteins transmitting representations into patterned event sequence ontology. And if I wanna give a quick definition of mine, since we're on the subject, I guess we can say it is the I don't know, recombination of all empirical representations and recollected intuitions in harmony with the rational faculties of the understanding and the imagination as organized by, let's say, contemplative mediation. And I do all that because I have nothing better to do. So let's get back to where we were. Recall that this is now going to be the third, actually the fourth element of our discussion on the immune event ontological framing of the aging human. We did two video lectures, which I hope you listened to and watched, and then we did an audio lecture following quickly after that. Now we're doing another audio, and I'm doing these audios to make things move a little bit quicker, uh, and so we can get back to the video to do the synthesis. Now, remember last time, I was talking about DNA damage response, the DDR, and that it generates stress signals um, that become subsequently transmitted from the DNA damage cell to the what we could call extracellular microenvironment. So adjacent regions, right? So you have a rapid extracellular DDR signal that I talked about, and that occurs in response to DNA damage as with aging, as because of uh, oxygenation and oxidation reactions, which are separate, of course. And they're transmitted, that, that entire DNA damage response is transmitted to neighboring cells via either direct cell-cell contact or also via paracrine signaling. You also can have what's known as a late extracellular DDR signal, and that occurs to in response to chronic, or maybe I'd call it persistent DNA damage, uh, and the signaling that follows that. And they're collectively known this whole response as the senescence associated secretory phenotype, which we've been spending a lot of time talking about, uh, and which we call SASP. Now, if you want to look at some of the background on this, read the paper that I told you about last time, Frontiers in Genetics, which was published in the lovely month of March in 2015. And you can take a look at it. it. talks all about SASP. So to summarize SASP challenges adjacent and even distant cell lineages to react to it's in situ DDR, to prepare for the potential for incoming stress phenomena, right? So this is long distance signaling or adjacent signaling uh, coupled to DNA damage repair. All right. So remember that DNA damage is linked to the expression of a series of genes. And we can say that these are SASP associated genes, which are part of the DDR complex. So they include proteins, which we've talked about before here, the ATM, the CHK2, and then all the DNA repair and maintenance proteins, including things like NBS1. All those, and many more, are required for SASP initiation and indeed maintenance. So again, you have this outgoing signal from the damaged cell, and that could be in response to, let's say, a persistent DNA uh, alteration, which can lead to chromatin disruption and you get what's known as a reinforcing senescence so when you say dna segments with chromatin alterations reinforcing senescence (laughs) that's called scars so dna scars okay that's in the literature it's not made up by me and the molecular components of the ddr cascade of course lead to selected transcription Um, First of all, of transcription factors, which then induce the transcription of whatever fact, of whatever that factor binds to whatever portion of the promoter regions or enhancer regions of that suite of DNA that will become chromatin remodeled. Uh, so you've got to get an increased transcription of what are just known as SAS factors. Now, along with the ones I just mentioned about DNA repair, which kind of kicks the whole thing off, you also get the production of some very important pro-inflammatory cytokines, such as interleukin-6. Now, when you have incoming damage to the undamaged cell, now this is SASP signaling, right? Because is secretory phenotype signaling to adjacent or to distant cells. The presence of extracellular, which can be generated from the SASP cell, of TGF-beta, Okay, so that's a pro-inflammatory cytokine signaling protein, can reinforce the DDR- mediated P53 activity in that, D- in that cell that does not currently uh, experience DNA damage. That's going to trigger then this whole DNA scars phenomena, which subsequently mediates senescence phenotypes in those non-DNA damaged cells. And that includes, uh, of course, subsequent to that, Increased secretion of SAS factors that reinforce uh, a positive senescence feedback loop to the originating SAS cell and then to new members of a SAS lineage, which are being generated because of the process, okay? This is how, this is all happening, in, for example, think about it happening in your central nervous system as you age, right? That's the, that's the key feature here. SASP is something that occurs over time and that is associated with just the vagaries of existing in an oxygen-rich environment, your diatomic oxygen, which is gonna allow for the excessive production of reactive oxygen species, which remember are partially reduced forms of molecular oxygen. Things like superoxide anion and hydroxyl anion and hydrogen peroxide even, right? <clears throat> and you know you take oxygen all the way to water so that's what i'm saying partially reduced because the ultimate reduction of molecular oxygen of course is to water right so everything in the aerobic world lives between o2 and water it's a wonderful process so <clears throat> that's that's where i want you to have your mind right now so sas regulation okay in terms of like gene expression is driven by the nuclear factor Kappa B or NF Kappa B. And you also have these SASP initiators and those include interleukin one alpha, really prime pro-inflammatory cytokine, secreted of course. Cytoplasmic DNA and or DNA damage response can induce actually that NF Kappa B activation pathway. Then the DDR pathways, which include the ATM protein, the ATR protein, the P38 MAP kinase, and the MAP kinase-activated protein kinase 2, or MK2. And you also, in in, in conjunction with the GATA-binding protein 4, and we're not done yet, the mTOR-controlling interleukin-1-alpha, messenger RNA translational machinery. So interleukin-1-alpha binds to the interleukin-1 receptor, for example, that's the IL-1R1 that that promotes, excuse me, the recruitment of the interleukin-1 receptor-associated kinase 1, that's called IRAC1, which of course activates additional downstream factors resulting in the entire fluorid, NF-kappa-B activation. Now, you also get cyclic GMP-AMP synthase. That's known as, I think, unfortunately, and it's not my acronym, it's known as C-gas. Cyclic GMP-AMP synthase. So it's making this dimer of those two nucleotides, GMP-AMP. And anyways, C-gas contributes to the SAS response as well, by detecting cytoplasmic DNA, where it's not supposed to be, right? You get then get the P38 MAP kinase MK2 pathway, and all that is also required in order to sustain now the SASP phenomena response. Other things to consider, you get the CAT enhancer binding protein beta that's known as C E B P beta. You see that in the literature. And that's a ma- also a main regulator of all those SAS factors that we've been talking about that occur downstream in terms of transcriptional expression. <clears throat> and they can be inhibited, there's always an inhibitor, by notch signaling uh, and in notch-induced senescent cells. That will lead not to the ending of SAS, to, but to generate a different milieu of SAS factors. Kind of like when I talked about the Treg cells, and you could have the Treg cells sometimes acting pro-inflammatory, and then sometimes in this more natural state, namesake state, it acts to suppress T cell mediated, particularly CD4 positive T cell mediated effector inflammatory response, right? So Notch does something which is transcription factor, does something in a way distinctively unique, but also in the same manner, controlling the SASP uh, profile of proteins being made, which work differently because they tend to slow down that secretory phenotype and they don't induce necessarily a globalized senescence lineage response. Okay. I hope you're getting that because it's, Again, it's dynamic, right? It's all dynamic. It's all event ontology. Everything I talk about is always event ontology. If you have that in your mind, you're never going to go wrong when you're understanding biochemistry. Now, a paper published in Nature Reviews Genetics, Volume 20, pages 657, 674, published way back in 2019, which is a joke because that wasn't very long ago, right? What does it tell us? It tells us the detection of pathogens via free nucleic acid is paradigmatic with innate immunity. Remember I told you I was gonna start bringing in the immune response, right? We've been talking senescence and aging, senescence and aging for a while. And I've been tinkering around always with the immune response because I love immunology. Now we're gonna, we're gonna bring that back in, we're gonna slip that back in. And we're not doing it in a, in a um, inconvenient covert way, We're doing it precisely to allow you to understand the essential segments of senescence that may lead to the aging human, I told you the immune response, immune response has everything to do with it. So you get RNA sensing and you get DNA sensing receptors. And what they do is they sample subcellular compartments for non-self nucleic acids. They're going to have different signatures and upon recognition when they see a non-self-nucleic acid that's going to trigger the immune signaling you see the dna sensing receptor which we just talked about cyclic gmp amp synthase cgas and its downstream signaling effector stimulator of interferon genes you're going to like this sting right Signaling effector, stimulator of interferon genes, sting. So, sea gas has downstream sting. All of that's significant here. The inappropriate intrusion of self DNA, however, can very unfortunately engage the sea gas. And that can induce what? That's right. I can hear it out there in the world auto inflammation. See, the important point there is I got it. Therefore, the C gas sting pathway is involved in pathophysiology, pathobiochemistry, including autoimmune diseases, which are very, very common as we age, such as osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, right? Those are two that people might be thinking about normally. Lupus also can come on later in life. Um, And of course, the other side of that coin, not just autoimmune diseases, but proliferative systems becoming oncogenic in cancer. I know you get all that. All right. Now, I want to take you through this sea gas here a little bit because it's not something I've talked about before, and I'm remiss that I haven't. Okay, so I want to I want to spend some time on it. Normally I would just be flowing along, but I want to slow down here and do the sea gas for you. Okay, and you're gonna love it. All right, now in mammalian cells, there are three major DNA sensing receptors that drive the immune response to foreign DNA. They're like Toll receptor or Toll-like receptor nine. TLR9, the absent in melanoma 2, that's the AIM2, and, yep, the cyclic GMP-AMP synthase, also known as C-gas, right? We just talked about. Now, TLR9, which is localized to the endosomal membrane, typically, that's that's where it ends up when it's activated, senses what? Cytosine, P, guanosine, hypomethylated DNA. CPG islands of hypomethylated DNA. That means under hypomethylated. And in turn, it activates the transcription factors, nuclear factor, Kappa B, and NF-Kappa B, okay? We're on our way, right, for SAS. And the interferon regulatory factor seven or IRF, or IRF seven. That leads to the expression of genes encoding the pro-inflammatory cytokines and interferons in case there might be any virus around. That's one of the triggers for it because you've got nucleic acid, you've got hypomethylated DNA, which can sometimes be in the replicated form, right? <clears throat> Depending on what kind of uh, pathogen you might have in the system, okay? It's just an example. It's not, it's not the only one by any means. Now, on the cytosol, that was all endosomal activity. Cytosol, AIM2, binds to double-stranded DNA, causing the formation of a multimeric protein complex called, and we talked about this before, the AIM2 inflammasome. Now, that activates caspase-1 and the maturation of pro-inflammatory cytokines, interleukin-1-beta, and interleukin-18. Remember, those proteolytically have to be matured. We talked a lot about that when we talked about T cells. And ultimately, you have the pyrototic cell death engaged. Pyrototic, right? Not the same as apoptotic. And we talked about the difference between pyrotosis and apoptosis in the past. Pyrotosis basically means that you get something more like a necrotic event, but it's rapid onset and it does release cellular contents, which can cause an immune response. Now, finally, Remember I told you we're three of these sensing systems or organs, if you like. Let's talk C-gas again. C-gas activation by cytosolic DNA leads to an endogenous generation of cyclic GMP-AMP as product of the reaction, right? And of course, that's a pretty unique second messenger. It's not like cyclic AMP or cyclic GMP by itself. We already know what those signal, signaling molecules do. They typically turn on protein kinases, right? Now, this... Dimer of cyclic GMP-AMP binds to, again, STING, which is the stimulator of interferon genes. And that leads to the activation, you're going to like this, of tank-binding kinase 1, or TBK1, and the IRF3. That all, when that entire process occurs, results in the transcription of genes encoding type 1 interferons. So DNA sensing through the C-gas sting pathway not only does that, but it also results in the activation of the NF-kappa B and the transcription of a whole series of pro-inflammatory cytokines like the one we mentioned just a little while ago, interleukin-6, and one that we talk about all the time when we talk about inflammation, TNF or tumor necrosis factor, one alpha Okay. So there you go. Now here's a paper published in the International Journal of Molecular Science in 2019 in March, and the volume on that is 20, and the first page on that is looks like one two two three. Now, what does this paper tell us? It tells us that aging has been linked to a reduction in the synthesis and secretion of endocrine hormones. Oh, okay, so we're bringing in something new here. Okay, which one are we talking about here? Melatonin. Aging is also associated with a reduction in the deacetylase enzyme known as SIRT2 and 1, SIRT1. talked a lot about these. These proteins typically act as deacetylases. Not all of them. There are, I think, five forms, five isoforms of SIRTs. And at least one of them doesn't really have deacetylase activity. But SIRT1 does, okay? Okay. Anyways, aging is associated with the reduction in that CERT one and in immunosenescence. And that's sometimes presented as a pro-inflammatory hyperimmune response and indeed a corruption because melatonin is involved of the circadian clock gene organization that may be linked to the elderly sundowning where the elderly get really confused is in the late afternoon or twilight, when patients become you know, basically disoriented in the late afternoon, it's called sundowning. Now, melatonin helps regulate the circadian rhythm, the biological clock of the diurnal day-night rhythm. And there is actually a photonic feedback mechanism via retin- retina's visual input, right, that can reset that clock. And that of course happens if you get a flash of light in the middle of the night, okay? Or, or you're awakened by an intruder or something and you turn your own light on or whatever you have to do. So now melatonin, which is involved in this response, is considered to be a pineal hormone, okay? From the pineal gland. So melatonin is a biological time domain. See, that's why I brought up time at the beginning, see? Nothing I do is for nothing. It always has multiple purpose. So melatonin is a biological time domain molecule acting on circadian, seasonal, and even transgenerational time scales. Okay. Now, melatonin develops special ways of action during evolution. This is something that we could talk a lot about. I'm only going to truncate it here. In a synopsis. So, the ways of action of melatonin determine immediate effects expressed during the night and prospective effects expressed during the following day. Okay. So, the prospective effects are classified as proximal and they're expressed immediately after melatonin ceases or drops down. In the early morning and distal lengthy effects are also some of the prospective effects and those are expressed throughout that following day during the day so melatonin has this tremendously long durational effect so the following melatonin related syndromes are described you have hypomelatonemia you have hypermelatonemia you have circadian displacement And you have inappropriate melatonin receptor mediator responses. That sounds like a kind of a a cache of a lot of different disorders, doesn't it? So melatonin, as I said, is this pineal hormone. And it links with all these other signaling pathways that are associated with the acetami, that is the senses, right? Where we get the word aesthetics is from the Greek esthetami, And by that, it means sense, not just senses that are pleasing, right? Which is how we use it in the English language, you know, the aesthetics, right? Anyways, signaling pathways, that sense, right? That's why I'm using the word there. And influence, energy, metabolism, okay? So melatonin melatonin is going to be about energy metabolism, but that's not all. Cell fate, like autophagy, circadian rhythms that we started to talk about. Including insulin-like growth factor one. And here are some of the proteins involved: forkhead box O or FOXOs, sirtuins, those deacetylases, and as we introduced a little while ago, the mammalian target of rapamycin or mTOR. So melatonin appears to co-regulate neuronal epigenetic processes. Epigenetic processes. Yes, yeah, what I said, and thus may associate with aging because aging is a process of epigenetic phenomena in the florid right so the melatonin signaling pathway involves bioenergetics for example like insulin insulin like growth factor is going to be in carbohydrate metabolism metabolism of course and that's that's vl like the igf1 that's the insulin growth factor one in the brain for and we talked about the sirtuins and all those other mechanisms Now, melatonin is synthesized from an amino acid. What is it? L-tryptophan, of course, (coughs) which is an essential amino acid. It's under the control of numerous enzymes that are inhibited or maybe stimulated, depending on which enzyme you're talking about, of course, the light-dark cycle. So nocturnal melatonin is a signal to mediate the circadian message for the entire body. Whereas pineal melatonin, itself displays a circadian pattern driven by the primary circadian clock signal from the suprachiasmatic nucleus, the SCN, okay? So you see where this leads really, really nicely into a discussion of the central nervous system recognizing and clocking, hmm, clocking Time, day, night, and also seasonal, and even transgenerational, as I mentioned a few moments ago. So, why are we talking about all this with aging? Because I told you one of the phenotypes of aging is that in the late afternoon, aged people, because of this reduction in melatonin, maybe, and the other components I talked about, right, experience sundowning. Now, not all aging people do, but a significant enough proportion do that it's been studied. And so we want to understand aging and we want to do it authentically because it's authentic biochemistry. So I'm giving you all of the possible situations here. Uh, And that's why I'm bringing up melatonin. I want you to know that melatonin is involved. So quickly, uh, there's a pathway in plants and bacteria called the chemic acid pathway. I actually studied that for my PhD. It's responsible for making phenylalanine, tyrosine, and tryptophan. Here we're talking tryptophan. Tryptophan can be decarboxylated to tryptamine, and then through a series—well, at least two other reactions—make serotonin. Okay, so there's actually two pathways to make serotonin. I know we all heard about this, right? The neurotransmitter serotonin found in the brain and the gut, and then a series of Transferase reactions can give you 5 methoxytryptamine and N acetyl, if it's an acetate being transferred, serotonin. Okay? Now, 5 methoxytryptamine can be converted to melatonin, as can N acetyl serotonin. So, serotonin then, end product, can be melatonin. Isn't that interesting? So, Think about serotonin in neurotransmission, right? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. So anyways, I'm going to stop here. This is Dr. Daniel J. Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Soon to meet up with you again, hopefully, saying bye for now.